Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another episode of the Fast Break Podcast. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Dan Madigan and Patrick Martin. The Fast Break Podcast is a production of the Fast Break Newsletter, a wonderful little operation that's covering UConn men's basketball, going deep on all games and history of the program as well. This past Saturday, the UConn Huskies had a marquee matchup against Marquette, hosting the number four team in the country at a sold-out Excel Center and absolutely stomped them. It was the largest deficit in a top five AP poll matchup ever as the Huskies won 81-53. Donovan Klingen, double-double, 17 points, 10 rebounds, four Huskies over 14 points or more. It was an absolute thrashing. The Huskies were dominant. They Marquette had nothing going offensively, and now all eyes are on UConn as the National champion favorite, the champion, the favorite to win the Big East. How are we feeling about the UConn Huskies after Saturday's game? I think they can beat the Pistons. I, I, I got, I hate, I hate those things, but God, it's, it's time Worst to ha- take ever. Worst take ever. <laughs> no, but we're going to have the conversation. <laughs> no, I'm it's just gonna kidding. Sports Center. It's going to be on Sports Center. That is right. Um, no, we're not. We're not going to wade into those waters. But holy shit, guys! I mean, um. Do do any of you guys like like feel almost like now like nervous for the rest of like they're they're so good they're so historic that like wow you really can't fuck up now like it it, it may it's going to make the first couple of like um obviously they'll they'll be fine in a sixteen game because they're not Purdue um but like that second round game if like they draw a decent team that, that gets like it like it's there's so much pressure now because they have they have this their fully realized death star that is just curb stomping everybody that like you can't like i don't know i'm like almost like it makes me more anxious to watch them and i have to remind myself that this is historic that this is like some of the best aesthetically pleasing basketball we've ever seen um it, it's it i i think we're past the calhoun peak at this point uh and we're in a whole new territory and we can get into that if we want to yeah i think we can talk about where this team sits amongst the pantheon like once you know the dust settles in, in march or, or april or wherever but i mean just in terms of best teams i've seen with with my two eyeballs from yukon um this has to be up there with that 2004 team in that discussion um and it's probably up there with, with what this team did last year. But to answer your question, Patrick, I don't feel that way. I'm just having a blast watching this team. It's just so much fun to watch. And it's just so enjoyable. It's just really great basketball on both ends. And um, just makes for a really fun viewing experience, honestly. Even if you're not uh, a diehard basketball fan, it, I feel like people are tuning on, t- tuning into these UConn games and, and texting me or texting you know, people I know, I'm being like, wow, like this game's so fun. Like this team is so good. Tristan Newton's amazing. Like Alex Caravan's amazing. Um, so that's just really fun. Uh, and I think that's kind of a big takeaway so far, just to kind of enjoy this, right? Like this is not normal by any means. They're, you know, all the blue blood teams, whatever, like this does not happen where, where teams are this good two years in a row. Um and so just enjoy it. That's that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's not worth worrying about. I know heading into this Marquette game, people were asking me, they said, like, are you so nervous for this Marquette game? And my answer was no. And it wasn't because I thought the score was going to be 
what it was, but it was just because this team is in a different stratosphere right now. If they lost that game to Marquette by by like five points or whatever, it doesn't really change the outlook for their season. They're still really freaking good, and they're still in the mix for a national championship. And instead, which we can get into now, the total opposite happened, and they blew the absolute doors off of a really good basketball team. Um, and it's just one of the more impressive performances I've seen in a long time, and that says a lot considering you know what this UConn team has done this season already against top talent and what UConn did last year against some of the best teams in the country uh, in their NCAA tournament run. So it's just been really impressive. It's been really fun. Trying my best to just like take a step back, soak it in and be like, wow, this is really special. Obviously the talent is there to win another championship, but it's really hard to win six games in a row. And I don't want that to overshadow how impressive this run is right now, because it's still truly amazing. Nice healthy dose of perspective there. I I agree though. I I think it is. Uh, you should think about cherishing it. This is a a UConn women's basketball style run of dominance. To have it be occurring over two seasons with roster turnover in between. It's not like you had some massive amount of continuity from a championship team like Florida, the last repeat champions. This is really like a second roster construction, and it has turned out incredible and in the regular season it's outperforming last year's team which was a juggernaut in march and i think what uconn has done what dan Hurley and then the staff have done is they've fixed all of the holes they had last year they fixed the inconsistencies and they just bring that edge to every game one of the things that they are is just so good at staying motivated for everything like you said madigan if if they had lost, it would not be the biggest deal, right? They're ahead three games in the league. They can, they, they're probably going to hold on to that no matter what. They can, they can downshift if they wanted to, but that's just never been what they've been up to all season. They've never made excuses with, with Castle or clinging out with that, with Caravan dinged up. Uh, they're able to, as we've said repeatedly, overcome multiple of their best players having off shooting nights because they have. Hassan Diara able to come in and score in the double digits off the bench or Jalen Stewart able to come in and do something like that. And um, it's just such a complete team. What's amazing is that, you you know, this team was put together with Dan Hurley not being at the peak of his recruiting powers, which he's about to be, you know, starting now. So I think the other thing about this Death Star is that it's just powering up. Patrick, I do think you bring up a really good point about the, the state of expectations. Because, yeah, now, now they absolutely are at the roof. And and you're at the point, I, I wrote this in the Takeaways article on the UConn blog. Yeah, if they don't make the Final Four, if they don't win the national championship, it's going to be considered a, a bust of a season. No UConn fan is going to be satisfied with, oh, well, they finished third in Ken Palm, and statistically it's much harder to win the regular season. But, you know, like That's, we, that's some Purdue shit right there. Yeah, exactly. We hate that argument. So I, I, I think... Uh, even though this all of what's happening right now is tremendous and should be lauded to the highest degree for all that they've accomplished. And again, the, the fact that they're doing it with a different team, um, you know, managing expectations, we can just say from all the different UConn teams we've covered, you know, managing expectations is a super important thing to do and you never stay on top forever. And uh, I think, um, 
that that is that is a part you know I, I it's it's like whatever the opposite of a silver lining is everything is pretty gravy right now so you don't want to be like bringing that up necessarily but i but i do think it's a very real feeling and point which is that now there's now there's some fear uh now there's some risk but yukon is just so overwhelming to other teams i don't know the the formula for them losing is just so much luck i, I feel like that i i think that's what you take confidence into every single game because of that i think you know like when they when they went barnstorm the the reg, the non-conference it's like okay wow they they have a, you can track like the national media of like oh yukon could repeat or, or no it's even it started even lower yukon looks pretty good oh yukon could repeat wow yukon's a favorite to repeat now it's like yukon versus the it's like wow you know they're they're, they're plus 450 to win the national title um, and I think that, you know, the last two weeks when Klingon has become healthy and we'll talk into his huge impact, you know, beyond the box score here in a second, um, has made all of this like, this is, this is real, this is happening. And, and for the record, I'm not saying, oh, well, like I'm scared or, you know, I think it's a good, healthy dose of fear of like, I, I think fans want this, they want this to be completed they want to be this you know historic achievement because of the AAC years and all of the whether true or not loopholes you can put poke through their various title runs oh they got lucky oh they had Kemba Walker oh all, all the teams lost okay well we're just gonna then mow everybody down I think for better or for worse a lot of UConn fans are like a little it, it's like an inferiority not an inferiority complex that's really going to piss people off but like they, they they're they're constantly striving for that next level and now that it's here it's like holy shit they, they have to do this or else you know it's really going to be a bummer um and it did have me thinking historically of the fun thing i remember being so excited for the 2012 season after uconn had won in 2011 when they bring in Andre Drummond and it's Shabazz and Jeremy Lamb running the show, DeAndre Daniels looks sick, Ryan Boatwright. Like I thought they they were gonna do this this year, and you know we all know what happened then. But this is like the fully realized version of that. With like the talent they brought in, just was so seamless. And then we do need to like give credit. We were talking so much in the off season of like who's gonna be the leader, who's gonna be the Andre Jackson guy. It's it's everybody like everyone that whole starting five. And then you add in Hassan Diar, like everyone is an extension of a coach out there. I, th I truly think even like the laid back Tristan Newton um, it's, you know, it was a true like leadership by committee that is so rare to see in sports, but it, it, it's happening right in front of us. Yeah. And I think part of what makes this team work and why there's that swagger and confidence um, aside from, being the defending national champions is that you know everyone that came back this year was a contributor on last year's team but no one was really other than you know I'll, I'll say Caravan and, and Newton for sure but the rest of this group still kind of had something to prove right like Klingon was only playing 10 to 12 minutes to game 15 minutes at most Hassan Diara played like 15 minutes total in the NCAA tournament um, Steph Castle wasn't here. Cam Spencer has never played in the NCAA tournament before. Like 
I think this mix, Samson Johnson was out all last year, came back and didn't play at all because of the way the roster kind of shook out. It feels so good to watch Samson out there. You like that? It must be so rewarding for him, you know, biding his time, getting the injury bug, and then be, you know, it, it feels like you know everything Hurley promised him has come to fruition. Yeah, and I think it's a perfect mix of like postseason experience and confidence. When you know this team does get down late in the second half or in the first half, they can dig deep and kind of battle back and not get rattled. But there's also this chip on your shoulder type of energy that Spencer, Castle, you know, Caravan Diara, all those guys kind of bring that kind of balance everything out. And, you know, Hurley is cognizant of that, I think. And he knows when to play into it and say, like, this is our championship mentality. This is the way things need to go. And um, I, I think he's just doing a great job at kind of stoking the fire, but never letting it get too hot. And, Marquette was probably the closest that they've come to, I'd say, playing the best basketball. And it's crazy to say because they've been just running roughshod over teams. But, like, there's been another gear on offense uh, and on defense for this team for a good chunk of the season as guys were getting healthy and stuff. And Marquette was the first glimpse to me at what this team could look like firing on all cylinders or, or close to it. It was just an unbelievable performance. Basically, from start to finish, I would say once Cam Jones picked up that second foul, it was basically, you know, to borrow a term from Hurley here, foot on the gas for the next 30 minutes or so. And they just completely put Marquette away over that last 30 minutes or so. To borrow a term from Tyler Kolick, it was barbecue chicken. Um, but yeah. It was over by halftime. I mean, it was it's it's a crazy thing to do to the number four team to to demoralize them like that. And uh sorry, real quick, like yes, that wasn't um their, you know, like that was like their best performance to date. And that was still with Castle and Caravan going a combined three of 16. Like it's, I, I, I think that's insane that, you know, those, the, those two players who two weeks ago, we were having the conversation that is Alex Caravan, the most important player on the team. And he was just like a, a role player yesterday. I, a great, you know, again, not, that's not to disparage him at all. Um, and, and they, both had their moments. Castles three after the Jalen Stewart block uh, was like the first two, um, two possession lead that UConn had took. Um, but it's like, I I don't even think we're going to see a night when everyone shoots well from a clip because it's simply impossible. Like there's not enough basketballs out there. So only one ball. Nights, but yeah, there's, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but then you have to then give Hurley credit for having, you know, instilled in these guys of like saying like, Hey, you're not going to have a night sometimes where you go off for 15 points. You may not get the shots that you want. Um, imagine selling castle, a five-star recruit saying like, yeah, man, there's, there's times that you're gonna have to take a, not just a back seat, but like, a you know, guard the best player type of type of role. Uh, not a lot of kids buy into that kind of stuff. And Hurley's managed to find 12 dudes who, who, who love it. For Castle, I think one thing that makes this work is it's a really good situation to come into, you know, for a five-star recruit to be like, all right, your teammates are Tristan Newton, Cam Spencer, Alex Caravan, and this 7-2 monster who erases people. Uh, so it's just, I, I think it takes a lot off of the shoulders of someone like a five-star recruit, even though Castle, a lot is being asked of him. You know, he's been d up 
the other team's best scorer. You know, he was ding up Tyler Cole. He was ding up Devin Carter. Uh, and so he, he's been asked to do a lot, but he's handled it. But it's also, I think, a good situation for him. And then, yeah, I mean, Maddie, and I think it's such a good point about the returning players. Even even they themselves had to develop into much larger roles this year in order for UConn to be successful. And uh, it's it's worked just tremendously from, from top to bottom, really, uh, looking at the returning guys who are in the main rotation. It's so, so ridiculous that this happened, that they treated Marquette like Georgetown or DePaul and just absolutely blew the doors off of this number four team in the country comfortably. I, I was just so impressed with how Hassan Diara played. I felt like Shaka Smart challenged him uh, early on to like kind of have him beat Marquette, and he did. And when he wasn't on the court or when he wasn't handling the ball, Donovan Klingon was doing his part too. I think it was maybe Klingon's best performance all around in his time at UConn. It's just so many different ways to beat you. We've, we've said this so many times this year, but it's true again when guys like Hassan Diara and Donovan Klingon are – leading the team to victory and Steph Castle and Caravan are having off nights. Like we said, it's just so impressive. I would also add the, the vibes were just tremendous in Hartford. Uh, there were a unbelievable collection of, you know, stars and VIPs from around, around UConn program history, including Jim Calhoun, Emeka Okafor, AJ Price, making a visit for the first time in a very long time. Uh, James Booknight, happy to see him. Uh, Andre Jackson and Charles Aquandu in the house. Andre Dixon and Doug Wiggins were also there. Oh, love Doug Wiggins. So, yeah, I mean, you know, this, this there was a lot of star power there. I was in the uh, uh, media seating there next to a, a national reporter who's kind of a, like, NBA scouting reporting kind of guy. And, you know, that's that's a real strong showing by UConn to just be like, all right, yeah, by the way, Emeka Okafor is here, James Booknight's here, Andre Jackson's here, uh, AJ Price, he did some time in the league, Aquandu, that's a draft pick. Just so you know, we've got dudes. We've got dudes going going back a long time. And then, oh, yeah, here's the number one team in the country, uh, absolutely throttling number four in front of you while Donovan Klingon and Steph Castle show you exactly what they are made of uh, in terms of, uh, what they bring to the table. I think uh, if if we're talking about like what has pushed UConn to the even greater heights than what we were talking about last week, it's that they've fully realized their their defensive prowess uh, with Klingon and Castle healthy. And just the fact that Castle is such a strong perimeter defender, someone who can do so much against your top scorer, a guy like Tyler Kolek, who had been doing a lot of damage going into this game. And then... Uh, what Klingon has been up to. It seems like Klingon has improved his stamina and fitness. And then in this past game against Marquette, he came up in a very huge way, not just with his leading the team in points and rebounds, but with zero fouls. Uh, you know, that's that's it. That's the answer right there. Donovan Klingon, you have zero fouls. Enjoy your 7 of 10 performance from the field or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, and and the incredible offensive uh, fruits that come from staying on the floor and just being the defensive difference maker that you are. So uh, UConn's an elite team offensively. UConn's an elite team defensively. I don't know anyone else that has that you know combination on both sides, and that's why 
again, we're just we're taking so much confidence into every game going forward. Can't not. Foul trouble will be like the number one. We're getting ahead of ourselves here, but like how to beat this UConn team, but like it will be foul trouble if something catastrophic were to happen. Uh, like Klingon picking up two early, has to sit, then, you know, gets a third, you know, with some dumb play. Samson Johnson, same situation. And, you know, like, yes, UConn has looked good with small ball, but when they're facing better teams in March and April, um, that is nightmare fuel, I think, for fans that should keep them up. But at the same time, like you mentioned with Castle, in, in Castle picked up some fouls, and, you know, he's a freshman. He's going to make those mistakes. And the way Hassan Diara just chases you around the court, um, you know, Marquette, everyone is, you know, slurping uh, Tyler Kolick in the Oso pick and roll. Like, oh, my God. It's like, wow, Tyler Kolick sets a screen. Like, this is innovative basketball we're doing here. Hassan Diara just runs the guy off the point of attack. Samson Johnson hard hedge, and it's it's blown up. And we we know what Klingon does, but like there was that one play where they did have Klingon out in space, and he is so good. Like he just took like takes two steps back, like almost in like a little crouch, and hedging like not hedging not hedging a screen, but like hedging his space, you know, and then forces Cole to throw it up and just like swats away the alley oop, like just absolutely insane stuff. In the first play of the game, Marquette threw that same lob. And Klingon was caught out of position, so like he had, he is such a good processor of the game to to borrow like the quarter like a quarterback term. Like he can process a defense and process movement at an elite level. Um, so like when you factor in all of these individual defensive attributes that this team has, throw in Hurley's mentality and aggression, um, and then also I, I was you know thinking of something else, like the 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 height in the wingspan of this of this team when you you have newton and castle that are six four six five six six camp spencer is six four ish um and, and he's probably the slightest dude on the team um you know you bring in jalen stewart who is way ahead of his his age you know age as far as like his size um that, i mean they're just they're they're massive so they're covering all this ground and when you have Klingon back there it I had no doubts that the defense would return to this elite level when he returned. Um, but Marquette scored 0.74 points per possession with Klingon on the court yesterday. And that's insane. I, I, I keep saying insane, but like it's, it's Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. Like that's, <laughs> that's what it is at this point. It's an yeah, insane yeah. group of defense. Like, Diara, I, I think Diara's a little undersized, I guess, but he has a great length and he's just so persistent. Like he's just always on whoever he's guarding. Usually it's the, the team's best ball handler or whoever initiates the offense, right? And it's just like, yeah, between them, the, the versatility to switch off the screens and stuff like that, Klingon's ability to drop back. I know um, Peyton Touches, who runs the a Marquette blog, really went in depth about that. And I thought that was really well written. And, you know, he was saying that, Iguodaro's kind of push shot that like mid-range shot that he had would be like a good counterbalance and I felt like Klingon was walking that line with being in Iguodaro's face enough to contest those uh while also worrying about that that dump off pass for a layup where it wasn't really a huge factor so um I think it's just a mix like a perfect storm almost of 
smart players with good size, good basketball instincts, and elite, elite scouting and coaching. And when that comes together, it makes a team, any team, really hard to beat. And I think that's just what we're seeing now. Um, even when there are off nights, um, they can kind of make up for it, whether it's from Hassan Diara stepping up or, you know, Klingon stepping up on defense or, or handling more of the scoring load. There's just a lot of options, um, not just on offense, but on defense too, for Hurley to kind of adjust on the fly and, and tailor to uh, what's working in the moment to try and get back into the game if they if they fall behind. Just to uh, correct myself, Miranda, Klingon was seven of eight uh, from the field in the game. Um, he's also shown a really strong ability as a passer, uh, which, which is great. Uh, I think both of UConn's bigs are proficient at, at kind of running the offense and, and being active in it and even being able to play out on the perimeter, even if not as, as shooters the way they wish they were. Um, but uh, the, the realization of Klingon, yeah, I mean, I think the, the point about foul trouble, that, that really is it. I think it's the thing that like foul trouble would have to be hitting Klingon and one other guy and two guys having a bad shooting night you know, like it, it would have to be so so many things at once because UConn has multiple guys that can make it happen. And um, I, I think it would just have to be one of those scenarios where everything goes wrong for, for UConn to lose at, at this point in a in a game where it matters. I, I do think, you know, this uh, this final stretch of the season there, you know, th there's there still certainly is a, a potential loss in there. Uh, there you got five games left. Shit, it could be Tuesday. Yeah, it could on, be on the on the road in Creighton. Creighton looked pretty got, good. Got, yeah, five games left. They start with at Creighton. They've got two other road games. They've got the return road trip to Marquette and the visit to Providence. Uh, they're hosting Villanova and Seton Hall. Neither of those games will be easy either. Uh, I do not think. And so there's you know there's still challenges ahead for UConn. Obviously, all you know. The team is firing on all cylinders. They've moved up to, to second in Ken Palm. And, you know, in terms of those metrics, like we said, I think it's pretty clear that Castle and Klingon being out is why the defense lagged behind what it really is. And now it's at 11th in the country and, you know, probably realistically a, a top five unit uh, when fully healthy and, and when Klingon is playing like this. And so, um, you know, again, you, you take a ton of confidence going into the rest of the games. Legendary stuff is happening. Uh, what, what the the impact of of Klingon, uh, tremendous. It's why he's got overflowing with pro potential. But um, I, I think this this stretch of the season uh, is, is still something. This this final stretch of the regular season, they've got to clinch the Big East, which is uh, something that's on the horizon for them. But I still think you know there's a potential there's a potential loss here coming down the down the pipeline. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I'm I'm wary of Tuesday just because it was such a detonation on Saturday. Like you said, all the vibes and everything. Now you got to travel out to fucking Nebraska. Oh. Um, God, I hate that. But um, and Creighton did look pretty good uh, against Butler in that second half. And I think they've won two straight. Um, UConn has struggled, obviously, on the road at Creighton. Um, I'm not really concerned about Villanova at this point. 
uh, especially considering that's a two dollar Miller Light night Saturday. The, the the vibes are again the vibes are gonna carry that game and Kyle Neptune I don't think is gonna figure out basketball in the next six days. Um, so what 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 were the other ones? Yeah, and then obviously the same logic applies to Marquette on the road, super tough. Um, and then Seton Hall, like who knows what you're gonna get with Seton Hall? They just came back from. 19 points down to beat the uh, fighting Patinos. But um, yeah, sometimes they look really good. Sometimes they're not. Kadari Richmond still scares the shit out of me. Uh, so is Alamir Dawes and, and Dre Davis. Like that is, a, if, if we get into like teams, you don't want to play in the big East tournament. Seton Hall is number one on that list. I think uh, just cause they're just a bunch of dogs and in Providence, like, Shit, Providence has somehow turned themselves into a tournament team without Bryce Hopkins. And I, I, I've i been batting around the idea that, like, wow, if Bryce Hopkins was playing, they would be right up there, like, as a top 10 team. But I'm not that sure, so sure because I think Hopkins's usage hole has, like, allowed Josh Aduro to step up and allowed Jaden Pierre to step up and a lot of those guys. So I don't know if they would be like this, like, you know, contender to UConn, but they still would have been really good. So it stinks that he was hurt. Uh, they're nasty. And I think we've all talked about how bullish we are on Kim English. I mean, the dude, the dude is a stud. So I think there's potential. Maybe I, I really don't see UConn losing at home given how I think how the, the fan base has rallied behind them and, and they're just too good, but I can see one, one loss. I, I, Honestly, like with, with that, I think that Marquette game on Saturday is going to leave a lot of scar tissue on them, um, on Marquette meaning, and I think they can pull out a win there. Uh, I think they exposed a lot of, you know, what makes Marquette limited and why they've kind of struggled in the NCAA tournament. Um, and it's just matchup wise, really, really a good one for UConn. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with one loss and then I think they're going to drop to Creighton and Hey, I am not going to say losing is bad, but I think it would be nice to get your teeth kicked in and, and get punched in the face a little bit and to have to gather yourself and figure out like, okay, how do we fix these things that went wrong here? Uh, because you know, it's the trophies that matter, not, you know, this sterling record. Yeah, I, I agree, Patrick. I, I think two losses is very much in play. I think that Tuesday game at Creighton is like perfect storm. Uh, McDermott in the past has kind of had Hurley's number. I think that, that's changed. That lately, is unless but... that is unless McDermott is looking up properties in short north. But yeah, in, that's in true. Columbus, may, but yeah, he may be halfway out the door, huh? Um, Creighton, Creighton's good. Um, Kalkbrenner is good, whether, uh, you know, apparently that could be a controversial take, but he's a good player. He could, he can neutralize Klingon for, for stretches. Um, and he's probably just as good defensively, if not better. So, um, that's, that's a problem. If, that's a if you want to, if you want to talk whistles, you know, there's not going to be a great whistle there. In, yeah. Uh, in it's Omaha. a hard place to play. Yeah. It's a really tough place to play. Um, I think I'm just going off of what I'm seeing on Kempom here, but I imagine these are all q1 games quad one game so it's not going to really be a seating issue i guess if they lost the seat in hall that would be a problem but i'm with patrick i think uconn can go undefeated at home for the year and, and take care of business against nova and seaton hall and if they win 
one out of two against uh, Creighton and Marquette on the road. I think that's great. And um, Providence is really hard to play at the, whatever it's called now, but formerly called the dunk, right? They're like 40 something and five in the last few years. Um, and they're playing some of their best basketball. So I forgot that was on the, the road. Team. Yeah. This is kind of the, the stretch run of the schedule here. It's, it's tough sledding. Um, I don't think, you know, unless it was a crazy loss, like a 10 or 15 or 20 point loss. Um, I don't think anything is really going to change what I think of this team through the rest of the season. Um, I still think they're one of the two or three best teams in the country. So um, it would take a lot for me to change my mind on that, but uh, this is a real, a real tough stretch and they should wrap up the big East regular season title, at least a share. I think they need to win one or two more games to do that. Uh, and, and if Marquette loses one, I think that is a wrap. So um, that would be a huge win and to take that number one seed into the Big East tournament, and that opens things up uh, for them. But, you know, I was looking at the Big East standings today and looking at how the seeding would shake out for the Big East tournament, and it's one of those things where, Patrick, like we were talking about teams that, you know, that are a little scary. Like, some of those teams are are looming on, you know, Thursday or, or, or Friday, and UConn's going to have to beat at least one of those probably to get to the championship game. But um, it's it's a really, really daring gauntlet from Tuesday to, you know, whenever their time ends in the NCAA tournament, basically like this is it. Like the, it's crunch time now. I want to just bring up, by the way, we didn't, we didn't touch on this on the Marquette game specifically. Tyler Kolick's stat line, the, the people's champion. Literally are you going to, are you going to read it? Uh, if, if we want. Yeah. I mean, I was going to just go into his resume, you know, like the John Rambo style, Tyler Kolick every national reporter's favorite for the Naismith Award for some reason. Uh, a guy who a different reporter said an absolute joy to talk to or, or something. It's like, dude, what, what, is, what kind of analysis is this on a guy? And then someone who just like feasted on the kind of dregs of the Big East and really pumped up his numbers and then came into Hartford and laid an absolute egg. He finished two of 11 from the field he never had anything going. Uh, I, I don't want to say he was visibly frustrated. I do have to give him some credit for that. He, he kept shooting. He took 11 shots, uh, you know, only hitting two. But uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a rough go for, for Tyler Kolek. He uh, only had five points at halftime, so he only got one bucket in, in, the, in the entire second half. Uh, that's rough, dude. And then David Joplin who had uh, one or two big games against UConn last year, finishes with three points, one of five. So UConn you really all, neutralizing the threats there. Did you all – I don't know if other fan bases have done this first, so I'm, I I'm, don't want to give them full credit yet. Did you hear the student section do the a ABCs to Tyler Kolick? That was that was pretty clever. And, and look, the Tyler Kolick can't read stuff. Fine. You know, I think if if you're really deep into that, I think you might need to log off and touch some grass. But um, he can probably read, but he did not read UConn's defense, and that's that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I mean, those two. I think he had three assists, and two of those were on those, maybe not a set play per se, but like those designed uh, screener rolls with with Oso, um, where he threw up those easy lobs and, and Oso put those down. So wasn't really getting anything going. I think. That's a credit to Diara and Castle uh, and the rest of the UConn um, 
backcourt doing a good job at bottling him up. But going back to what you said, Patrick, the, and what Aman said earlier, the crowd was awesome. It was just awesome. And I know we already talked about that, but I can't stress it enough. Like the stripe out worked, the students were loud. It was unbelievable. Um, and, you know, I was lucky enough to go to the Kansas game earlier this year. And it was very similar to how, like what UConn did yesterday was very similar to what Kansas was doing. Except Kansas was bringing out like multi-million dollar donors at every media timeout. Hopefully UConn gets there at some point, but UConn just bringing out legends, final fours, national champions, like elite, elite players in program history. And just that's the crowd was going nuts. And like that stuff matters. Like it, it does matter. Like it feeds into it, especially when UConn was kind of in the driver's seat. And then they bring out Andre Jackson or, or whatever to kind of get the crowd fired up. Like that stuff matters. I think the XL is like a really hit or miss environment, but when it's packed like that, it's pretty awesome. So uh, credit to everyone involved there. I think that was uh, a contributing factor, honestly. Like I, I think it, it adds, it makes a big difference when it's a really, really good home environment. And I know Hurley talks about it all the time and the team certainly seems to feed off that as well. No, I agree. I agree. And they've done a really good job of, getting alumni involvement uh, you know for to just use a really generic term on this but um they've they've had former players at games some of them announced some of them a little bit less announced you know like ray allen came to a random game here and there and yeah they do the t-shirt toss they throw they throw a little highlight video up and uh yeah it's all part of i think a, a production that has improved significantly on on the game day experience you do have to give the, the folks at uconn credit for that and I think to also just, you know, ramp that up with the increasing popularity and success of this team, it's it's great. And it seemed like a lot of people had a lot of fun in Hartford that day, uh, pregame, during the game, and postgame. You know, people probably had a good night. Like, I feel like the, the 3 o'clock time had a good night. The 3 o'clock time is perfect. Yeah. Like, it gives people, you know, you don't have the DGENs that are drinking at, you know, 8 a.m. for a noon game, like – everyone can get behind like a, Hey, let me crack a beer at, you know, one, two o'clock before this game. Let me crack 12 beers. Um, it's, it's just like the perfect sweet spot. I think to like, I'm sure everyone that, that was there, like then like went and did something after kind of like in that, like six o'clock range. And then, you know, was home. It's like, that's like a great day. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like, you know, you're, you're, you're mortgaging your night to go to the game. It's like, Hey, like, let me just squeeze in a little, insane UConn domination and then just go on with my life. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's a good day. That's a good hang. Um, and then uh, after the Creighton game this weekend, they've got Villanova at 8 PM on a $2 beer night. So that's going to be oh. a little different of a, of an atmosphere and an environment, but I think uh, that'll also probably be a, a pretty cool one. Yeah. And they're retiring rips Jersey too. Like that's going to be, that's going to be a good crowd. That's good. And I feel like people, right. People just get up for Villanova as well. I'm putting that alternate spread at like 30. They're going to absolutely murder them. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's, uh, the, the Villanova game. I, I still have some, uh, credit to offer them just in that they have experience. They have strong perimeter players and, Look, they, hey, they're the team that they're the team in the Big East besides Seton Hall who beat them. They're the team in the Big East that kept it closest with UConn. For whatever you know, and and UConn was 
more or less fully healthy in that. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, am I remembering that correctly? So yeah, that was Klingon's like first um, training wheels off. Yeah, yeah. So he Full. came back in the Creighton game, and then he really returned in the Villanova game. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, that gets into what you know, like. Okay, so we talked about like how would you kind of lose, like crazy fouls, bunch of you know shooting slumps. The, the, you know, there is a blueprint of like quick athletic guards that can get into the lane, uh, but then are also versatile enough to like switch on defense. If you have those dudes plus like some type of like stretch big who's like a threat to shoot, like I'm I'm merging those two together as like. Seton All had has three of those dudes, honestly. Uh Villanova has um what's Dixon his Moore. Um I'm blanking on the Iowa State transfer's name. Oh, TJ Bamba, um, and Hakeem Hart and and Moore. And then when you think of the stretch guy, uh, you think of Hunter Dickinson, how you know Klingon had, you know, sh- sh- trouble getting out there and not sure how much he should commit. Um, but again, how many teams in the college landscape right now have that combination? Um, you know, plenty of quick athletic guards out there as we, you know, we saw like Xavier has quick athletic guards, but they don't have anything else. So they got brushed aside. Um, you know, there are plenty of stretch fours out there, stretch fives that can shoot, but not teams with quick guards. So, um, that's, I think the teams that could give UConn trouble, um, but especially like short term, they're not losing the home game to Villanova. Like, come on, there, there's there's no way. I think also Hurley will have scout Hurley and the coaching staff will have scouted out what went wrong in that game and will come with some adjustments. I really don't think Kyle Neptune is going to be coming with adjustments, so um, we can move forward there. But it will be interesting to see when the dust settles after the Big East tournament to look at the bracket and say like, all right, what teams out there in the NCAA have the blueprint to beat UConn? Yeah, no, I, I agree, Patrick. I was thinking about this a lot. I know we talked about this before we hopped on here. And I think the biggest thing for me is that I'm going to say Kadari Richmond, but that type of player uh, on, on like the, whoever's going to beat UConn has to have that type of guy on offense. Villanova kind of does in Eric Dixon, like he's kind of in that mold. He's shooting 36% from three. So, uh, and he has a size, he's six, eight to, to kind of muscle caravan around in the post um, and, and maybe draw clinging out uh, when he comes out to the perimeter. But there's guys like that, like Malik Renault on Indiana gave caravan a ton of trouble before he got into foul trouble. We've seen what Richmond has done. Uh, Art Kaluma, Bryce Hopkins, those guys are not in the picture this year, but like those types of players torched caravan last year. And, have those types of guys have kind of done the damage uh, against UConn this year. I also think it's really just getting the bigs in, in foul trouble, like we said, like Klingon and Caravan really more than Samson Johnson, because I think they can kind of mix and match. But those are like the three guys that they need to keep uh, out of foul trouble on any night. And then, you know, just offensively, generally, I was looking at the Kansas loss and Seton Hall loss, and both of those teams shot over 35% from three. Um, Seton Hall didn't shoot that many, but they still, you know, took them and, and made them when they needed to. And they were all, you know, 70% or better from the line with more than like 18 to 20 attempts. So you have to draw fouls, create contact, get to the line and make those shots. Like that's the only way I think where teams are going to be able to kind of get ahead and stay ahead is if they're able to 
take advantage of whether it's foul disparity or just hard contact or whatever and just kind of keep putting up points because the UConn offense is going to be pretty efficient no matter what. And I think that's one way to kind of counteract that. But defensively, I feel like I just with my own eye test and Patrick, I know you're a much better basketball analyst than I am. So I'm curious your thoughts here, but I've seen a lot of teams have success with like three, two zone at times. And even the one, three, one, I know Seton Hall was doing that at times and that kind of threw people off. And that's not something you can sit in for 40 minutes against UConn because Hurley's going to scheme his way out of it. But um, they've had trouble with those zone looks and the three, two presides shows enough pressure on the perimeter to kind of keep the Cam Spencer's, Alex Caravan's, Tristan Newton's from jacking up those shots. But I think if you can do that, and if you have to pick someone to force threes, right now it has to be Newton. He's shooting like 30-something percent. Uh, he can get hot in a minute's notice, but he's someone that I think you want to have him make him beat you from deep um, for the time being because you know what he can do when he gets in the lane. He's an elite you know, drive and kick guy. He can finish with contact. He can draw fouls. So if you can sag off him a little bit, it might allow you to put more pressure on the likes of Spencer and Caravan. But I feel like Marquette tried to do that Saturday and putting all this pressure on the perimeter guys and, and Newton, Spencer, Caravan are just blowing by guys on backdoor cuts. So it's give and take. I think it's a lot of adjusting on the fly. It's going to take a really good coach to kind of see what's working in that moment and, and kind of fit it to their game plan. But um, it can happen. I mean, they're not unbeatable, but there's a lot of things that have to go right. Like you said, I'm on. And, and honestly, I think you have to be a little lucky. You're going to need some, some good bounces. You're going to need to shoot, you know, 35, 40% from three things are going to have to go right. Uh, if, if you're going to beat UConn, you know, who there's one that this is super, super, super far in advance. Um, Tennessee has a, a roster. I won't get too deep into the details, but they got a dude like Kadari Richmond and Dalton, uh, Dalton Necht, I think is, is how you pronounce it. Um, the Visco, they have the Ken five, Ken Palm five defense and 15 Ken Palm offense. Viscovi is a dude. Josiah Jordan James is a dude. Uh, they've got a 6'11 guy that can bang with clean and down low. I, I do, a, a do, or, or whatever. Uh, Rick Barnes is a, you know, people, whatever they say about him in, in, in March, he's still a, you know he's a proven coach. Um, that checks a lot of boxes as as to like a team that could give UConn trouble. And again, I'm saying this as like Tennessee's best day and UConn's worst day, um, as like something that like they could you know that's someone like if if they're gonna be a two seed, it's like you really kind of hope that they're on the other side of the bracket. Um, be you're not anywhere near UConn, because uh, that would be one like oh geez like we got to go through Tennessee. Um, but looking like else through the top 15, not really scared by anyone else, maybe Iowa state, but again, I think that's all pumped up because of their Hilton home record. So again, we're, you really have to put teams under a microscope to find like, yeah, well, it's like, well, this guy could, could go off for 30 points. And then maybe like, you know, Tristan Newton shoots with his left hand. And then, you know, Donovan Klingon is, you know, like singing Taylor Swift on the sideline and forgets to play, like maybe then UConn might, you know, lose. I have to say the, you know, my, my postseason hopes are still through the roof, even though I think there's something that could happen in the regular season. And I think uh, as it relates to the Big East tournament, I think 
again, UConn is is the absolute favorite to to kind of steamroll through that, and probably should. This would be a good year to do that, uh, given what their previous history has been. But yeah, I mean, I think again, the the my underlining point would just be again to to cherish this this moment. It's a very exciting time. You've got the home stretch of the regular season coming up. You're going to have the Big East tournament in Madison Square Garden. UConn is almost certainly going to have uh, NCAA tournament games in Brooklyn and then Boston if if it uh, if it gets there. And that's going to be a very, very cool and exciting ride this next uh, month and a half or more. So I think there's there's a ton to look forward to these next few weeks. Oh, we got to talk about Rick Pitino. No, we, we got to talk about the St. John's juggernaut. Uh, what about Purdue in the mid-10, too? Oh, Purdue. Listen, so... Ant Wright uh, just going scorched earth on the Big East. I also, I realized why he's doing that. His career high was against UConn. So he's just like, he's picking fights with UConn people because he's begging them to like look up his stats when he scored nine points against. That's pretty cool, actually. Against UConn. Like he's a, you know, career one, 1. 1.1, whatever points per game. It's like, oh, hey. But, you know, he scored nine against UConn that one time. So I cool. no, get, the exact same thing. I can't blame him. I respect the, it. <laughs> get the fuck out of here with the, with the Big Ten. Jesus Christ. Sorry. Um, but no, do we do we want to talk Rick Patino, who just went absolute ape shit in his press conference and not like the cool, fun ape shit? Like Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a whole segment about just, you know, things that we were right about. And one of those was pump the brakes on loving Rick Patino so much, right? And honestly, I have to say I didn't expect to be like so right about that by February eighteenth uh, when we're recording this. But Wow, uh, the Rick Pitino era, uh, extremely disappointing, almost as is he should not have been pre-anointed as the king and savior and the guy bringing back the hate in the Big East. Remember those headlines about a month ago? Insane stuff. And already he's he's made an absolute fool of himself after the UConn game, complaining about transfers and NIL. And now after this loss to Seton Hall, just going scorched earth on his team. Unbelievable stuff. But these quotes are absurd. Are they going to host the uh, NIT at Carneseca or MSG? It's going to happen at UBS. They won't make the NIT at this rate. I don't want to say the wrong things, but I'm very disappointed in my team. Oh, in credit to Seton Hall, they were the epitome of toughness. Look, Joel's slow lottery, Joel Soriano. He's not fast on the court. Chris Ludlam, who he recruited, is slow laterally. <laughs> Sean Conway is slow laterally. Brady's physically weak. Drissa is slow laterally. Oh, my goodness. After I spent the summer with them, I knew it was going to be a difficult year with the people he recruited. I knew it. I'm hoping we could finish over 500 for this season. It's not the job. You could be at Missouri and recruit slow players. Believe me, it's not St. John's. We had to put together a team at the last second. We will never, <laughs> ever do that again. And then your... my personal favorite. Do we have shady facilities? Yes, we do. But we're doing something about that. <laughs> Um, I come to St. John's play for this guy. There's more. I mean, it's like, to be honest with you, Zach, I'm just getting ready for Georgetown because Georgetown can definitely beat us. And then our good friend TCF, uh, whited that out and says, because Georgetown was the job I really wanted. <laughs> <laughs> um, he said he's not having an enjoyable time. He always has a good time in his first year. And now he's not right now. 
what a little baby. He's com again complaining about retention, complaining about players, kids these days, how the kids he recruited aren't the you know players he wanted. Come on, man, grow up. You're I tried to get AJ Store. I tried to get others. There were circumstances that had to be done over that were out of my control. We had to bite the bullet and clean certain things out academically as well as athletically. Oh, it's yeah. what had to be oh, done yeah. to start over. St. John's, the flagship academic Richard. institution of New York. Unbelievable. The shit, the complete lack of shame that these guys have. It's it really is one of their superpowers. It's I think one of the like number one or two traits you have to be to be like the shitty successful coach is you have to just have that complete lack of shame that will wade lack of shame <laughs> to future future blue demon head coach oh man i wish i wish but rick that's awful uh work on yourself before you lash out at others in my opinion oh there was one other thing i did want to quickly shout out um i woke up from my nap today with with a uh video text from one of my friends uh with a jim calhoun cameo uh congratulating um myself on my recent engagement and spent a minute talking about like my fandom and and how that's equatable to you know like the love for i have for chloe it was a delightful delightful thing um so adimu andre uh thank you dude i mean that was freaking awesome and yeah i mean i think that was kind of i didn't i had no clue jim calhoun was on cameo um but that maybe we can do something fun with that down the road but uh yeah it was a nice little gesture i really appreciate it wow thanks to jim calhoun as well you have no choice but to thank jim calhoun for that and yeah as a as a as a penance for that he's gotten a nice little uh plug on on this podcast for his cameo uh, which we uh are hopeful can generate some revenue for for jim maybe something something good happening there that's going to do it for us. Thank you all for listening.